Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. We have oftentimes heard, and the older I get, the more I believe, that character counts. Character may count more than all other things. I remember when I was a younger young person um, entering the workforce, um, all I really, really cared about was, is my direct deposit going to hit when it's supposed to hit? I don't care who I work with. I don't care how nice the people are. I don't, like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to work, get paid, and enjoy my life. As I got a little bit older, I realized, man, we spend a lot of time at work to work around people we don't like. We spend a lot of time at work to work around people whose character can't be trusted. And all of a sudden, the words of previous coaches and mentors and friends came back in my ears that character matters. Who you are, not just what you do, matters. And that is more true even for kingdom people. So today, I want to talk briefly on the topic of kingdom character. What is the characteristics that should embody a kingdom people? If you are a believer today, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ today, this is your word today. This is what we should embody. If you have yet not to trust in Jesus Christ, if you are here by invitation or here as a spectator, welcome. You should be seeing this in kingdom people. And I believe Luke chapter 14 is going to give us three things that should embody kingdom character in the lives of those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Those three things are humility, urgency, and priority. Humility, urgency, and priority in the order of the text is what Jesus is going to teach on today. We're going to go a little bit out of order. We're going to go humility first, priority, and we're going to end in the middle with urgency. Look back at chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus was telling a story that, honestly, if you remember from last week, should sound like a familiar story. Jesus is yet again on the Sabbath about to heal somebody on the Sabbath. You remember from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, that is the exact situation that Jesus was caught in before. So again, new chapter, new day, Jesus is back at his old tricks of going on the Sabbath day, a day that was reserved for no work, even supernatural work. The Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders said that this day is not for healing. But in this case, Jesus preempts the question by asking a question. Verse 2, there is in front of him a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they kept silent. And in verse 5, he tells a story that should sound eerily familiar. And to them, he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Scan over to chapter 13, verse 15. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath day and lead it to water? Talking about his ability to heal this woman bound for 18 years. And so again, Jesus ties together these two themes of what is allowable on the Sabbath. And I believe that Luke is bringing this conversation back up because as we saw last week, this was a conversation about the nature of the kingdom, the compassionate kingdom from last week. And Luke is going back to this conversation about healing on the Sabbath as almost a reminder and a primer to tell us that he's not done talking about the kingdom. He's got more for us. Look at verse 7. In verses 7 through 14, 
Jesus is invited to a banquet. And as he's at this banquet, he sees something that we may see in different ways. He sees people vying and jockeying for position and power. You see, in ancient Near East times, if you sat closer to the heads of the table, you were considered a more important person. And so as this dinner party was being hosted, everyone was trying to get a seat closest to the head of the table. In verse 10, he picks up the story. He says, but then when, when, when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The first kingdom characteristic that should be true of our lives is a posture and practice of humility. Humility. Now, humility is sometimes hard to define because what does it mean? What does it look like? And so let me distinguish humility from meekness or gentleness. You see, humility is not a personality trait. It's a choice. People don't act humble. They choose humility. So let me give you a working definition for this text of humility. It means trying to only live for the approval of God, not others. Trying to live for the approval of God only and not others. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be, humili- will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the dinner table isn't that big of a deal for many of us, except if you went from the kids' table to the adults' table. Anybody remember going from the kids' table to the adults' table on Thanksgiving? That was a big day. Some of it, some of it was this year. I'm, don't raise your hand. Some of you just made it to the big kids' table. But we have at least a concept of there's places where you can sit that seem to carry more honor and more respect. And although that's probably not the predominant way we respect it, uh, we, we just demonstrate that all of us have in our lives things that we do so that we can be seen by others in a more favorable way. Let me ask you a question this way. How much of your day, how much of your life is spent trying to present to others and convince others that you are who you want them to believe that you are. How much of your life is manicuring a perspective and a perception of who you are to other people? The car you drive, the house you live in, the job you have, the title you carry, the clothes you wear, how well-behaved your kids are in public, all these things. How much of your energy and time is spent trying to convince people of who you are? You see, that's the bondage of living without godly humility. Humility, um, according to the Bible, isn't bragging or not bragging. Sometimes it's living for the approval of others. It's hard to be humble when I'm dependent upon the approval of others. I need you to see me. I need you to see all the good things that I've accomplished. I need you to applaud me, and if I don't have it, I feel empty. How much of our lives is spent presenting the most manicured version of ourselves? Some of you over the holidays did just that. Now, don't look at me. I ain't talking about you. I don't know your story. But some of us took pictures over the Thanksgiving holiday, didn't we? Some of us posted it even on social media or shared it with friends. Some of us did it this way. Some of us took a picture, we smiled, we shared it to everybody, and we were done. Some of us took a picture, we looked at it, we judged it, we fixed it, and we took another picture. Oh, y'all don't want to tell the truth today. That's fine. I know you did. That's all right. I do it too. We ain't posting anything on the gram now. It's got to be gram worthy. And you wasn't smiling like you should smile. Fix your face. Go change your shirt. Let's put the, the fresh food on the table so we look like we can eat all this food. 
Come on now. Why do we do that? And that's, a, that's a small example. I'm not saying that was inherently sinful. I'm saying there's something about us that seeks to present the most manicured version of ourselves to other people. That's the same thing as trying to sit in the place of honor. We want people to see us the way that we want them to see us. But kingdom people, man, we have got to be freed from the approval of others. Now, don't hear what I didn't say, because some people are going to hear that and say, Pastor said, I don't got to care what y'all think. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that our reputation doesn't matter. I'm not saying our credibility doesn't matter. Those things do matter. They just don't matter most. Humility is saying, God, if you are happy, then I need and lack nothing. God, if you approve, then I'm good. God, if you are smiling at my sacrifice, at my worship, at my joy, at my life, then that's what matters most. If we're to be a kingdom people, we must first be a humble people, looking for God's approval only. Flip over to the last part of the chapter, verse 25. Humility, but also priority. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, pause right here, why does Jesus always do this? Jesus has been attempted to be stoned once. He's been attempted to be killed already. He's already been called Satan himself. He has not had the most successful public ministry thus far. And he finally gets a crowd. The Bible says that great crowds were finally following Jesus. It was working. And Jesus is going to do what Jesus oftentimes does. Verse 26, He turned to the crowds and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Is Jesus talking about an active hatred towards those who we're called to love and serve? Now, there's, a, there's an interesting etymology of the word that we don't have time to go into, but that word is hate, but it's oftentimes used in a more passive way, a prioritizing way. We see that in Genesis where Jacob says he loved Leah more than others. It's really a preferences and an ordering of loves is what this word means. So it could be rightly said that verse 26, if anyone comes after me and does not love his love me more than his father, love me more than his mother, love me more than his wife, love me more than his children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even love me more than his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus isn't talking about aggression. He's talking about priorities. What do you put first? Is it me or is it others? You see, Jesus right now is doing something that seems counterintuitive. He has built this huge following. The crowds are finally following him. He's preaching to the masses. He's already fed thousands and healed and raised from the dead and done all these things. And people are finally starting to believe that he's the Messiah. The church is growing. But see, Jesus is not concerned so much with the quantity of his followers, but the the quality of his followers. Jesus is not concerned with the quantity of his followers, but the quality of his followers. Let me prove it to you, verse 28. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? 
Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. And he uses an example about a king, an example about a salt, and they all bear the same principle, counting the cost. Now, most of us have heard this teaching about we should count the cost before we choose to follow Jesus, and that would be a true statement. But there are some commentators, and I would agree, that says that no, he isn't saying for us to count the cost. We're not the builders in this story. Jesus is the builder in this story. And he's looking back at his followers and asking the question, I'm seeking to build an everlasting and eternal and spiritual kingdom. Do I have the right quality of materials to do that? Let's get personal for just a second. If everyone had your, let's get local. If every member of Radiant Church had your faith, had your prayer life, had your spiritual rhythms, had your giving, had your serving, if every member of Radiant Church had your habits and rhythms of devotion, could we push back darkness in North Charleston? Jesus is asking, do I have the quality of materials necessary to build what I came to build? Or will I start with people who aren't just who aren't followers, they're just more fans. And they'll give up when it gets hard. They'll give up when it, get, when it costs them too much. They'll give up when it's inconvenient. And I will then be the builder, God is saying, that started a work that he can't complete. So Jesus sees the crowds but is unimpressed. He's saying that I will not be ridiculed. We talk about God's glory all the time, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and I believe that to be true, but do we know what glory means? In the simplest definition, most of the time that you see the word glory, it literally, literally means the reputation of. It means his fame, his, his renown. Sometimes it means other things, but most of the time it means his reputation in the world. That's why we glorify God. We don't give him something he doesn't have. We make much of him to others so that they give him the worship that he deserves. So God is saying, I'm going to put my glory, my reputation on the line by these people who are following me. Will I be embarrassed? Will I be ridiculed because I can't finish what I started because the quality of my disciples isn't up to the task? And honestly, that's a hard question, y'all. That's a hard If everybody had your same level of commitment to Jesus, your same, your same sacrificial posture towards the things of God, if everyone did what you did, could we do what God calls us to do? That's the question on the table here. It's a matter of priorities. Now, here's the good news. The prerequisite to being used by God is how we prioritize him in our life which means it doesn't matter what your resume is, what your pedigree is, what your, credit, what your credentials are. It doesn't matter what your giftings are or are not. That's not what God uses to build his kingdom. He uses people who choose him first so that everybody can be a part, an essential part of the kingdom of God. All you've got to do is pattern your life after choosing Jesus first, prioritizing his ways over your ways, prioritizing his will over your will. Pastor Neil, um, he teaches something called Cyprus, really is a church planting network that helps people rethink how to plant churches in a kingdom lens and perspective. And one of the, my favorite questions that he asks, and it's a surprisingly simple question, 
He'll invite church planters in and, and pastors in and say, hey, what's your mission for your church? And they'll say something. What's your vision for your church? And they'll say something. Hey, what are your goals for your church in the first couple of years? And they'll, they'll say something. And then he'll ask this question, almost a trick, tricky, because Pastor Neil is slick, slick like that. He asks a simple question, what does God want? And I've been in the room where that question has been asked, and I've seen the air leave the room. You see, we plan to do all these other things, but we never stop to ask, what does God want for my life? What does God want for my church? What does God want? That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to consistently prioritize him and his will and his way over everything, even good things, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your life. These are good things, but God is better, and he gets what he wants, even if others don't. We must embody humility. We must demonstrate kingdom priorities, and there must be a kingdom urgency. Look back in chapter 14, verse 15. He began to tell another story in verse 16 that says, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done in a still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of these people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about urgency, people. Urgency. For the believer, it means something different than the unbeliever. Let me start with the believer first. What God has called us to do, we should respond with a, a kingdom urgency. Look at what happened. Jesus, the king, is hosting a banquet. And he goes, sends out the invitation to those who should have already been invited and says, come, now is the time. We're finally ready. The meal is prepared. And they said, well, Jesus, I just started a business. I bought five yoke and I, I, I can't. I can't come. I just, I just got married. I got some family stuff happening. I, I, I can't come right now. And they gave excuse after excuse after excuse. What did the king say in the story? I mean, I, I understand, man. It, it, you know, it's tough for everybody, you know. Everyone's just going through some hard times. I get it. We'll be here, you know, we'll be here whenever you're ready. You just got married, man. You, you got to go and celebrate. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. We'll, we'll catch you next time. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, I told you to come. And you said, no, whatever your reasons for saying no doesn't matter because when the king calls, you come. Whatever your reasons for not coming may feel good to us, but it's just disobedience. And so many of us, family, so many of us feel like we have more time than we do. 
We feel like God has called us to do something. God has put something on my heart, and we've got a million good reasons why we can't do it yet. And this is the worst kind of disobedience, family, because this is disobedience that masquerades as submission, because it seeks to put obedience and faithfulness on layaway. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You put a little something down on it. You keep putting a little something down on it every once in a while. And you put it on layaway because you want it. You just can't buy it now because you don't want to pay what it costs. And so many of us put our faithfulness to God on layaway. God, we, we want you. We want to obey. We want to do what you called us to do. We just can't do it now, God. It's just not a good time now, God. I've got so much going on now, God. And we don't realize that there is a window of opportunity that will close on our obedience. There is a window of opportunity that will close on our obedience. God is not mad at us. There is just a reality that time keeps moving. And opportunities will open and doors of opportunity will close family, there should be an urgency in our gospel proclamation. Don't waste the holidays coming up. Don't waste them with just having a good time with good people and good family. That's all good. But as kingdom people, there should be an urgency. If you have family members who don't know Jesus, they are going to hell, and we don't know when that date is going to come. But this holiday season may be the only time they're going to come to church. This may be the only time they're going to listen to you read a scripture before dinner. This may be the only time that they give you an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Don't just give them nice people doing nice things. Give them Jesus because we should have an urgency to do this. Time is coming. And let me say this as I, as I begin to close. There are some under the sound of my voice right now that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you've made these same excuses. You said, man, I'm, I'm in college right now. So it's the best time of my life. You know, once I get out, then I'll, you know, I'll settle down. I'll get right. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm in this relationship right now, and I, I know I shouldn't be, but when I, when I get out of this, then I'll get right. Or I'm in this, I'm in this thing right now, and, and as soon as this thing happens, then, God, I, I'm all yours. That is not the urgency that you should be responding to the call of faith with. I don't know, and you don't know either, what's going to happen when you walk out of these doors. You don't know when your next breath will not be given by the God you reject. And there should be an urgency in responding to get right with him because that door of opportunity will close for you. Because when you pass and see the Father, then it'll be too late. But now, what did the servant say? Verse 22. Now there's still room. Now there's still room for you to come, to receive the faith of Jesus Christ and be a participant in the kingdom of God. Family, we've been called to be a kingdom people. And the kingdom people should embody kingdom character. And the least of these things should be humility, urgency, and priority. We should seek to please God alone. We should seek to do the will of God now. And every single day, we should choose him above all other things. And in so doing, 
we will be the very stones God uses to build his kingdom in North Charleston and beyond. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.